don't forget to tell your mom Happy Mother's Day today a few times. I saw this graph on Facebook. Uh, it was something that what moms really want for Mother's Day. And it was like this really simple pie chart of like sleep. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I'm sure that's probably true. Peace, quiet, um, sanity. Um, so some of those things, you know, a dinner and flowers and stuff are nice, but uh, make sure you, you tell them you love them, that you're thankful for them. So we're going into this series of Conquering Our Giants. We're picking this up uh, where we left off last week. It was kind of like Giants 101, and we talked about four myths that we need to know about giants, looking at the story of David and Goliath, that we need to know before we move deeper into figuring out what giants we're going to try to face in our lives. And these myths were the first one that giants don't exist anymore. We talked about how that's, that's not true, that giants are real today. Though they don't stand up nine feet tall wearing metal armor screaming at us in a valley, giants are real today. They just take different forms. The second myth we, we talked about is that uh, you don't have a giant. Uh, we talked about how that's kind of not true either, that each of us have at least one giant. Some of us have more than one. Giants like fear, failure, worrying about our past or our future, insecurity, temptation, and pride. These giants can still dwell, unfortunately, within us. The third myth we talked about was that God handles our giants our way, the way we would, and he doesn't. God's ways are not our ways, and he handles our giants in his way because to God, these aren't giants. It's not giants to God. God is the giant. Everything else, he'd be living space. He's like Aladdin. So and the fourth myth we talked about um, is that we put ourselves as David in the story of David and Goliath. We think we go out into the valley, we've got our sling and our stone, and like we see our giant. Even if we got to the point of recognizing what giant that is, of fear or insecurity or whatever, and like, I'm going to do battle against you, and we forget that we're not David when we recreate the story of David and Goliath. That Jesus is David when we recreate the story of, of David and Goliath in our lives. We allow Jesus to fight that battle and rely on his strength and his power, just as David did back in the story. So I want to ask you really quickly, uh, what are you afraid of? We're talking about fear today, attacking the giant of fear. What are you afraid of? Anyone want to share what your fears? No one's afraid of anything. Kristen, what are you afraid of? Messing up on the keyboard in worship. A, probably a valid fear, but a fear, right? Is it one we should be worried about? We'll talk about that later. We keep, we keep piano lessons every week. We'll get there. It'll be good. Another fear. What do you want to share? Preston, what are you afraid of? God. You're afraid of God? We'll be coming back around to that. And one woman. Is that woman next to you? All right, that's good. <laughs> Better she's sitting next to you on your side, right? What else are you afraid of? Yeah. Heights, okay. Destiny is afraid of clowns. So is Faith, you're afraid of clowns too? No? James, what are you afraid of? Robbers? I thought you said bobbers for a second. I thought you were an, anti-fishing lures. Um, don't, you don't like Okay, well, that's just not like fishing. Yeah. It's self. Never take James. So anti-robbers, right? Anita. Snakes. Snakes. Anyone else afraid of me? Debbie. Be afraid of being alone. Yeah, Sarah. Of going insane. 
Would you know that you were? Anyway, <laughs> Patrick, you're afraid of college. That's coming up for you, isn't it? Yeah. Fear itself. Go a little FDR, all right? Anyone else want to share what they're afraid of? Real quick, June. Temptation, right? So you got double giants, because that's one of the ones we're going to be talking about. Fear and temptation. Yeah. So I want to kind of think about what you're afraid of. No one mentioned spiders. No one mentioned spiders at all. Nothing's wrong with spiders. I'm saving that all morning in my pocket. It's waiting for a moment. I went James away. I know. You can. No, this is not funny. So we're talking about our fears today. We're talking about our fears. And we're going to start doing battle alongside Jesus against these giants. And we're doing this battle because these giants will rule our lives if we let them, just like the Israelites did. They just Goliath would go down there in the valley every day for 40 days. We're going to battle against fear, failure, past and future, insecurity, temptation, and pride. And this series is not intended for us to simply call out our worries, fears, and issues. You need to know it has one ultimate goal, the defeat of our giants. In, once and for all, be done, no more. Um, share a little bit about this. I'm, I'm a war history buff. My family will, will tell you that. I've grown up reading as much as I can about World War II, World War I, Vietnam, Civil War, uh, even ancient Greek and Roman wars. I'm kind of a nerd when it comes to that. Um, when we would go to the library as kids, this is before the Internet, so just, you, you know what a library is, right, James? Yeah. Okay, I'm getting the blank stare. You want to hold on to this? You can read about it. Um, so before the wide, World Wide Web's, uh, we would go to the library to find out about things, and we would go down there, and I would, O'Galley Library and Melbourne Libraries, the whole section of World War II books, I would just gradually just chip away at, just read everything. And my mom would tell me, I'd come home with stacks. Just, I was like a little kid carrying all these books. I was like, you're not going to read those. I'm like, yes, I will. And I read them and reread them and reread them and reread them, and all the books, Stephen E. Ambrose and D-Day and all that kind of stuff, Band of Brothers, some of that factual stuff I loved reading about. And I watched, watched, enjoyed watching movies, um, too, especially some of the old ones, um, like Battle of Britain, Torah, Torah, Torah. Um, any, names, any of these names sound familiar? Battle of Midway for y'all, anyone? And then like finding out like Black Hawk Down, great movie. The, the stuff that was factual, again, the stuff that wasn't made up, you know, uh, Fury was a World War II tank movie that came out that's very, 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 very loosely based on, on fact. Um, but um, it's a great movie, but it's not didn't happen. I love finding about, about the stuff that actually happened. And one thing I love to read about and found consistent in any conflict through any age was the story of the common soldier overcoming adversity against all odds. And we award things like the Medal of Honor, the Silver Star to those who go above and beyond the call of duty, often sacrificing their own lives so that others could live. I have the utmost respect for these men and women. I was watching a BBC documentary on World War I this past week, and it came uh, upon the story of a man named Sidney Godley. We got a picture of Sidney Godley. Oh, there he is. Sidney Godley from England. And uh, he was the first official uh, German attack of the British and France after Germany had swept through Belgium. So this is World War I, before the trench warfare that we often think about 
before the, the biplane had entered the scene, the very first battle against the German and the English and French as they moved through Belgium and they started going to France um, was at this bridge. So I want to read you what happened with Sidney Godley really quick. He was 25 years old and a private in the 4th Battalion of the Royal Fusiliers, British Army, during the Battle of Mons in the First World War when he performed an act for which he was awarded the Victoria Cross, their, England's equivalent of the Medal of Honor. On August 23, 1914, at Mons, Belgium, on the mons Conde Canal, Lieutenant Maurice Deese and Sidney Godley were manning the machine gun after the previous crews were either killed or wounded. So you know the Germans are trying to get across this river into the town of Mons, and it's this really snake-like river that juts out around the town, and that bridge at the top part that they had to hold before all the other ones was the Nimi Bridge, and that's where Sidney Godley was. When Lieutenant Deese had been mortally wounded and killed, and the order to retreat was issued, Private Godley offered to defend the Nimi Railway Bridge while the rest of the section retreated. Godley held the bridge single-handed under heavy fire and was wounded twice. Shrapnel entered his back when an explosion near him went off, and he was shot in the head. He had a bullet in the brain, they pulled out later. Despite his injuries, he carried on the defense of the bridge while his comrades escaped. His citation read, For coolness and gallantry in fighting his machine gun under a hot fire for two hours after he had been wounded at Mons on 23rd of August. H.C. O'Neill, a historian, wrote an account of Godley's actions in the Royal Fusiliers in the Great War. He says, The machine gun crews were constantly being knocked out. So cramped was their position that when a man was hit, he had to be removed before another could take his place. The approach from the trench was across the open, and whenever a gun stopped working, Lieutenant Maurice Deese went up to see what was wrong. This is the first major war where they had machine guns, and so they didn't work that great. They were water-cooled. They had a chamber around the um, barrel that they would pour water in and have to keep water to keep it cool. Otherwise, it would overheat and not work anymore. It would just melt. So to do this once called for no ordinary courage. But Lieutenant Maurice Deese repeated it several times, and it could only be done with real heroism. Deese was badly wounded on these journeys, but insisted on remaining at duty as long as one of his crew could fire. The third wound proved fatal, and a well-deserved VC or Victoria Cross was awarded him posthumously, so after he died. By this time, both guns had ceased firing, and all the crew had been knocked out. In response to an inquiry whether anyone else knew how to operate the guns, because not everyone knew how to operate machine guns, Private Godley came forward. He cleared the emplacement under heavy fire and brought the gun into action. But he had not been firing long before the gun was hit and put completely out of action. The water jackets of both guns were riddled with bullets so that they were no longer of any use. Godley himself was badly wounded and later fell into the hands of the Germans. Godley defended the bridge for two hours until he ran out of ammunition. His final act was to dismantle the gun and throw the pieces into the canal. He attempted to crawl to safety, but advancing German soldiers caught him and took him a prisoner of war camp. His wounds were treated, but he remained in camp until the armistice at the end of the war. Originally, it was thought that he had been killed, but sometime later it was found that he was a prisoner of war in a camp called Dilatz. It was in this camp he was informed that he had been awarded the VC. Godley left the camp in 1918 after the guards fled their post, and he received the actual medal from King George V at Buckingham Palace in 1919. Now, this is an extraordinary story of courage and heroism. But it doesn't say anywhere that Sidney Godley wasn't afraid. I would probably believe he was. 
as the famous philosopher Plato said, courage is knowing what not to fear. So we all have our fears. It could be fear of spiders. So wanted to get someone with that today, I'm sorry. It could be fear of being trapped in an elevator. Uh, fear of clowns, right? That's right. Fear of drowning, fear of snakes. You might have a fear of the unknown, of death, of your boss, a fear of needles, fear of the dark, fear of heights. President Benjamin Harrison and his wife were so scared of the new electricity in the White House that they didn't touch the switches. If there wasn't anyone around when they went to go to bed, they just left the lights on. <laughs> just, no touchy, no touchy. Director, uh, Soviet dictator Joseph Stalin was so afraid for his safety that his house in Moscow um, had eight bedrooms, and he would randomly choose a different bedroom to sleep in every night by himself so that no one would knew exactly where he was. And so whether we admit it or not, we all have fears. They might not be that extreme, like not touching a light switch, but they might be. And they creep in, and if we let them, they will rule our lives. One trait of these giants we'll be talking about, like fear today, is that once they show up, they don't just go away. We read last week out of 1 Samuel 17 that Saul and the Israelites were afraid of Goliath. The first time they saw him in verse 11, they were dismayed and terrified. Nine-foot dude, heavy armor. In verse 24, when David shows up for the first time, 40 days later... I don't know if you picked up on this last week. They're still afraid. In fact, when it says Goliath sent the Israelites running in great fear. Forty days later, they still go out and we talk about the Mars. We're going to beat the bad guy. Ah, and then they run away. It's 40 days. The giant of fear in your life may have shown up a long time ago. You might be afraid this morning. Or you might be afraid to admit you're afraid this morning. There's just one main point, one main point, that's it, that we need to understand about our fears that may seem simple, but I want us to be able to remember it when we have to battle this giant so we can pull this out when we need it. Here's the point. The only way to conquer our fears is by fear of the Lord. The only way to conquer our fears is by fear of the Lord. There is a good fear to have. Only one. Or one woman, right, Preston? There is a good fear to have. There is a fear of the Lord, of His power, of His justice, of His wrath. That fear, that understanding, that reverence, that awe is a good thing. It is a good thing. That fear isn't taught much anymore. It's not encouraged from the pulpits or spoken about in small group. It doesn't make the headlines of Christian news that's more focused on whether or not a bakery in Oregon made a cake. If you're up with the news. Our politically correct culture creates tolerance and uniformity when there is in fact a definite hierarchy. God rules. God loves, and God should be feared. We've lost that. Psalm 134 says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. 
Fear is part of who we are. The giant of fear, however, appears when we fear the wrong things. When our fear is misplaced in anything but the Lord, it becomes a giant in our lives that can tear us apart. There's a reason that throughout the Old and New Testament, we hear variations of this phrase, do not be afraid. Isaiah 41.10, God tells his people to not fear because he is with them. Luke chapter 1, the Virgin Mary is met by an angel before Jesus' birth that says, take a guess, do not be afraid. When Jesus was born, the first thing the angel of the Lord said to the shepherds in the field was what? Do not be afraid. When Jesus rose from the dead, Matthew 28, the angels told who showed up, who, what? Take a guess. Do not be afraid. Why would he have to say that? Our God is a God to be feared. Why don't say it over and over and over and over again? There was a power, a majesty, a reverence and awe, and a just and right fear of God. And our problem today is that we have lost the fear of the Lord. I think that's the ultimate problem. You can look at the nuclear family. You can look at our culture. You can look at the economy. You can look at other nations. The ultimate problem today is we have lost the fear of the Lord. We have no respect for who He is anymore. When we don't adequately fear the Lord, that's the only time that the giant of fear can take hold. Because our fears are misplaced. We start fearing worldly things. We fear we might lose our job because we think we exist to sit at a cubicle or treating lawns instead of making every day count for an eternity. We fear death because our faith isn't deep enough to give us the confidence that any moment could be our last and that we would be okay with that. We fear pain because we forget that what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. We fear loss of our homes or cars because we don't rely on God for His provision and His plan. I forget that maybe not having a car might be part of that. And that's why we're tackling this giant of fear first. Because knocking down this one giant opens up a perspective that we need to have to tackle the other ones. Some of us have probably stacked this first giant on top of other ones like failure or past or future. We fear failure. We fear temptation. We fear our past coming back to haunt us and be made public. We fear the future and its unknowns. If we're going to address failure, past, future, temptation, and other giants on this list, we cannot go into that fight still fearing them. Does that make sense? Going back to our story about David and Goliath, David knows this. From killing bears and lions as a shepherd and killing Goliath as a young man, King Saul develops a serious jealousy problem with David and hunts him to kill him. David then has to not only fight the Philistines, but also run from Saul. During these times is when David writes a lot of the Psalms. Look at the Psalms. Though some aren't accredited, most are, even in the ancient manuscripts. I want to read the Psalm for us today say that differently. It's Psalm 23. Psalm 23. If you want to follow along, I'll be reading out of the NIV. And it's short. It's just six little verses. We talked about David being a shepherd, and, and hopefully you'll, you'll see some of the things in this one small psalm, this one song, this one 
um, prayer of David that will make sense from some of the things we're talking about. He says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Think about it. Nine foot tall dude. Probably stood in his shadow. Real for David. I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff. The ultimate shepherd. They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love, your version may say mercy, will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is a pretty well-known psalm, and I think it's for those reasons. This is where the fear of the Lord is different from any other fear. When we fear things like death, needles, car accidents, job or home loss, or clowns, those fears are against us. They attack our thoughts. They keep us awake at night. They make us hesitate or second-guess our decisions. And when our fear is in the Lord, He is with us. Wouldn't you rather have the only thing you fear on your side? Not against you, with you. Not fighting you, fighting for you. Not leaving you, leading you. When you fear the Lord, other things you could fear instantly cease becoming giants. When you fear the creator of the universe, you don't fear anything he made in it. When you fear the God who gave His Son to be with you, you don't fear not being loved. When you fear the one who is in control, you don't feel not being. When you fear the God of eternity, you do not fear death. And that opens up completely different schools of thought for us. Different decisions can then be made. Our whole approach to life can change. We wouldn't fear what someone would say to us if we talked to them about Jesus or invited them to church completely out of the blue because that's not a fear. Could it be socially awkward? Sure, but we wouldn't fear it. We wouldn't fear giving to God our tithes or offerings because we would trust Him to provide for us. Lisa and I have found that always to be true to this day. Sometimes we don't know how the paycheck adds up and that we come out of the month still okay. But God always provides. I see nods. People, you get this. We wouldn't fear needles because Jesus took nails. We wouldn't fear death because through His, Jesus gave us life. We wouldn't fear heights because no height nor depth can keep us from His love. Romans 8, 
verse 38 says this, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else, and all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The only way to conquer our fears is through fearing the Lord. When we fear Him, all of our others just fade away. They stop being giants in our lives. They stop controlling our decisions. They stop being threats. I'll return and read just one verse out of our First Samuel story back in chapter 17. First Samuel 17, verse 51. Again, come back to this David and Goliath story. David ran and stood over him, Goliath. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the scabbard. After he killed him, he cut off his head with a sword. The part of the story that Tony and I were talking about before uh, that they really don't emphasize in Sunday school. But then this. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. Who was afraid then? We need to put our fear in the Lord. And when we do that, there is no more giant of fear in our lives because our fear is not misplaced. We then fear the one thing, the one God who can destroy all those other giants for us. So put your fear in the Lord. Otherwise, what are you afraid of? We're going to close. We're going to invite the band to come back up. We're going to close in the song today. Just have a little time of response. To um, we're going to sing oceans uh, together, uh, mostly because of the bridge. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. To put our trust in the Lord. To put our fear in the Lord. To remember who He is in our lives and who He should be in our lives. That He is first, not second, not fifth. Not last, but first. And the more we know Him, the more we understand His ways, the more we are in fear and reverence and awe because of who He is.